0: Thank you so much Rachel. I don't know how many of you really look forward to prayer meetings. Maybe you've never been to a prayer meeting. Maybe if you are kind of here as a as a visitor or not a regular kind of church person you think, well what is a prayer meeting anyway? But just put your hands up if you look forward to prayer meetings. Well, that is a slim <laughs> Slim number of people. I mean, in, in the first service we had at 8 o'clock, I asked who looks forward to prayer meetings, and one person put their hand up. And honestly, if we did the metrics of our attendance at prayer meetings at Woodlands Church, we're a big church. You know, I write to well over a 1,000 people every week, you know, and uh, we had a, a thing called Prayer Watch once a month on a Monday night down in the crypt. We think, well... Can we fit everybody in the crypt? Well, yes, we could. (laughs) Because we'd probably get 20 veterans from the church showing up to pray. And um, we we had a a great time to pray. But actually, for many people, prayer meetings are not a high priority. And prayer isn't very easy. Prayer is grunt work. Prayer isn't something people get passionate and excited about. Now, in the Bible, prayer, I think, and worship really go together. So we're really excited about having a prayer and worship evening. Uh, on Tuesday next week, a week on Tuesday, and and the Psalms are very much not just a worship book of the Bible, but also the prayer book of the Bible. In in the Psalms, where the psalmist cries out to God about all kinds of stuff in life, and that actually was what prayer really is. It is a crying out to God. I love the definition of prayer that we find in One Samuel in the first chapter, where Hannah goes into the tabernacle to pray, and, and she's praying so passionately. Eli, the high priest, thinks she's drunk. And she says, no, I'm not a sinful woman. He says, I'm, I'm pouring out my soul to the Lord. And prayer, a great definition of prayer, actually, is we are pouring out our soul to the Lord. And we want to invite you to partner with us in prayer this week and to join together and particularly come along with that, that, that night of, of prayer and that day of fasting. But um, there are times when our prayer meetings are full. Mandy Addison's here tonight, and I remember um, when her husband, Grant, was diagnosed with a, with a terminal illness, and we, we gathered to pray in the crypt. And on that night, we were full of people praying, because we loved Grant and Mandy, and there was trouble. And there's a verse in James chapter 5, verse 13, which says this, Is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. But trouble and prayer belong together. Actually, when we are in trouble, we have an instinct, a reflex to ask for help. If you were stuck on a mountain and you'd broken your leg, you'd probably cry, Help! And hope that someone heard you. If you were attacked by assailants uh, at the back of Woodland Church on a dark Tuesday night, you might shout, help, is there any way to help me? And whether you have faith or not, it's quite likely that if you're in trouble, you will not just shout to help for a physical human presence, but you'll be asking, is there a God? God, can you help me? And, And history is full of people who, in times of trouble, have cried out to God for help. It's like an instinct and a reflex. So, if, if the Bible commends praying when we're in trouble, what does trouble look like? One of the great prayers in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul, and he wrote lots of the letters in the Bible, and he documents his prayers in them. One prayer he prayed was that a, a three-times prayer, actually, and it was when he, he talked about something called a thorn in the flesh. He said three times, ask God to take it away. It was a trouble to him. And honestly, Bible commentators aren't quite sure what that trouble was. Was it sickness? Some people think that Paul had bad eyesight or some other physical limitation and that he was praying about that. Other people think that the phrase thorn in the flesh actually is commonly used about antagonists, about um, people who um, are stirring up trouble for you. And maybe Paul was followed around, when you look at his ministry, it seems as if, He was followed around by people who would try to oppose what he was doing. And maybe the thorn in the flesh was that kind of trouble, persecution. Now, when we think about trouble and when we think about prayer, we can learn a lot of lessons from the global church. It may be that prayer meetings are not packed out at Woodlands Church or packed out around the U.K., but in the in, in the emerging um, um, world, in, in the in the two-thirds world, in the in the global church, where the church is growing fastest, prayer is an integral part of their life, and prayer meetings are long and full and busy. I had the experience when I was a, a young man of uh, having someone from Africa to come and live with me, a, a Ghanaian gentleman called Rob Ashen, and Rob was studying in Bristol, came to live in, in my house with my family. And he was a prayer. He would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and pray. And the reason why he prayed was he had known trouble in his life. Ghana had been going through a famine, and he had prayed a meal for his family every day. That was part of his discipline, to pray food, literally to pray food on the table. He had a journal of prayer, answered to prayer, because there was trouble in Ghana. There was famine, and he prayed. And also in, in Ghana, there was persecution for Christians. One of, the ways, one of the reasons that Rob himself came to faith was because he felt he'd been cursed by a witch doctor and was developing heart problems. But actually, Ghana, like many African countries, is on a fault line between Islam and Christianity, and it leads to a significant hostility and actually persecution of Christians. And the church in Ghana had learned to pray, not just because of physical challenges of life, the troubles of life, but also because of spiritual opposition. And trouble has those two shapes, the trials of life, and spiritual opposition. And in both circumstances, we are invited to pray. Now, the trials of life will come to all of us. In fact, Jesus once said, uh, sorry about letting you know this, but he said, in this world you will have trouble. That's a promise. But I've overcome the world. But actually, there are trials of life, aren't there? And and, and we, we know about the trials of life in our midst. And even in this wealthy, prosperous city, in a wealthy, prosperous Country, we're aware of trials of life. We're aware of sickness and loss, of bereavement. We're aware of pressure in family life and on relationships. We're aware of economic pressure and of redundancy and cost of living crises. We're aware of pressures too that can come in life through conflicts or through natural disasters. Stuff happens in life that is trouble. But there's also the trouble that comes through Opposition to the kingdom of God. And in, in my own uh, life, as I, as I think back again to early parts of my life, one of the times when I prayed most in my life was when I was running Bristol Methodist Centre. And Bristol Methodist Centre was a shopfront project that was started by the Methodist Church when the big central hall in the centre of Bristol off Old Market was closed and turned into flats. And they wanted to keep a presence in that part of Bristol and uh, I was appointed as the manager of this kind of shopfront project. And my remit was to reach the people in the area around where the Methodist Centre was. And that was very much inner-city life. So we are surrounded by social housing. And so part of my job was to minister to, to visit, to care for people who are living in, you know, in social housing. Lots of single parents, lots of people with trouble in their lives. We were just down the road from what was then the Cyrenians Day Centre, and, uh, and there were people with homelessness and addiction that were in that part of town. We were also surrounded by the sex industry. There was massage parlours and sex shops all around where, where we were. And for me, in that place of ministry, um, it felt like I was also aware of the pressure of darkness. And from time to time... You know, we, we would experience trouble. We'd be threatened as we tried to help someone exit the sex industry or someone came to the centre of the crowbar, smashing the window to get everybody upstairs. Or, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd encounter also trouble in people's lives that had, it felt like, the a, a power of evil at work there. And certainly for me, I felt working in that place, I need to pray. So I would get in early every morning to pray. And what's more, I started a, a prayer meeting every Friday at lunchtime called Watch and Pray because I felt... I need the support of praying people in this place. And, and it was great to, to see some real breakthroughs happen. It was a kind of a very pivot moment in my life, actually, having the, those three years working there. But, uh, but and seeing God at work, but also seeing difficulty and tragedy and pain and, um, and also the pressure of evil. I knew that I needed prayer. I needed the power of God. I needed God to do what I couldn't do. I needed God to be the one who answered prayer in my life. And when I look at the book of Acts, when I look at the New Testament at, at, at prayer, the, the New Testament church of prayer, what I see is the church praying when it's in trouble. The book of Acts is full of prayer meetings, but if you look at those prayer meetings, it's when the church is encountering opposition. If you look at Acts chapter 4, there's an amazing prayer meeting. They are using the Psalms, the prayer book of the Bible, to help them pray. Psalm 2 Why do the nations rage and the kings of the earth take their stand against you and uh, and, uh, against your anointed one and stretch out your hand to do signs and wonders they pray in that place? Because the apostles have been threatened by the Sanhedrin, warned not to preach the good news of the kingdom. A bit later on we find a massive all-night prayer meeting. And that's wonderful, isn't it? But the reason they're praying is that Peter's in prison and James has been beheaded. And they're praying for Peter's life. And they're fervent in prayer because the New Testament church got into trouble. And because it got into trouble, it prayed. But it got into trouble for the right reasons. One reason why we do not pray is because we are not in trouble for the right reasons. If we are seeking the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, that should annoy the devil. And that should provoke opposition, which will lead us to pray. And I think that the global church that prays is the church that knows how to be spiritually ambitious. And one of the challenges for us, perhaps, is that we are too comfortable. Who remembers the all-night prayer meeting at Woodlands? Who was there? Anyone there apart from me? We we had an all-night prayer meeting. We used to have half-nights of prayer regularly. I think we had some spiritual ambition that I want to say we need to rekindle because our city and our nation and our world need the kingdom of God. And again, if you're, if you're here and, and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, you think that's a little bit highfalutin. Um, I, I honestly, there's real power in prayer. And I hope that later on today, you may even feel if there's trouble in life, that we can pray for you. Because one of the values that we have as a church is to pray for people who are in trouble. Week by week, in season and out season. And so, for, for us as a church going forward in, in 2023, 20, I would love prayer to have these elements to it. First of all, That we can pray for anyone who's in trouble, and that we learn to do that. Second of all, that we can pray about the troubles in our life uh, with faith, and third of all, that we can get ourselves into trouble for the right reasons. And that makes me link link a little bit, a little bit on fasting. You know, we've we've said to you that we'd love you to fast, and and some people think fasting is bad for them. Anyone think that? Anyway, I would not put your hands up. Honestly. Fasting, I think, is good for you. In, in some medical conditions, it might be that fasting is bad for you. But for most of us, fasting is a really helpful detox. And it actually follows some quite natural rhythms. So I want to commend fasting to you. And honestly, you can do it. I mean I love my food. And I'm a, I, I'm a big eater. But I can fast. And I, I know that most people in this room can go for at least a day without food. And honestly, actually, know, we won't go there. But I don't want you to fast because we're all doing it. Or because I said so at all. Fasting, like giving, has to be a matter of conscience and free will. But I want to give you a rationale for why, why we might fast, because you might think, well, why should we fast? What is the point? Why would I sort of deny my body my very natural kind of uh, desires? Isn't that a bit sadistic? Is it masochistic? Isn't that a bit off the wall? You know. And in the in the Old Testament, fasting is linked with mourning with repentance and with trouble. When people are in trouble, they fast. When the city is besieged by enemies, they fast and wear sackcloth. When they're repenting, they fast. When, when David's baby is dying, he fasts. And fasting and mourning go together. And actually it makes sense. In life, when you're anxious, when you're mourning, you often go off your food quite naturally. You can involuntarily fast because you don't feel like eating in that same way. And there's something about fasting and mourning that go together. It's a sign that we're in trouble and a sign that we need help. And in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus contrasts himself with John the Baptist. We'll just read that little passage of scripture. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the law and prophets, Prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he's Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, you didn't mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Now, what does this passage mean? If you know about John the Baptist, you will know that he was the prophet whose job was to come to prepare the way of the Lord, to turn the hearts of people back to uh, serving and following God, to, 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 to bring repentance. In other words, John was the prophet of the not yet. The kingdom is at hand, but it's not yet here. The kingdom is coming, but the king has not yet been revealed. He's the prophet of the not yet. Now, at Woodlands, we talk about the theology of the kingdom of God being a now and not yet kingdom. We acknowledge that God's spirit is at work in the world. There's wonderful things happen. God's spirit is is creating works of justice and love and mercy and and creativity and wonderful things all over the place. And yet... We don't see the full experience of the kingdom. Paul, writing in Romans chapter 8, says the whole of Christ is longing, groaning, waiting as in the pains of childbirth for that consummation of the kingdom. It's now, it's here among us, but it's not yet. We're still waiting for for the king to return. We're waiting for more of the kingdom. And John was preeminently the prophet of the not yet. And he's a fasting prophet. His disciples fast. When he does eat, he only eats locusts. (laughs) You know, it's, that, it's kind of, he's, he's, he's the prophet of the not yet. Jesus is the prophet of the now, if I could say that. He says, how can the friends of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom is among them? Where Jesus is, the kingdom of God is breaking out. If I drive out demons by the spirit of God, by the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is at hand. The spirit of God is, the kingdom of God has come upon you, he says, and he um, he. he Feeds 5,000 people because he's expressing the life of the kingdom. It's always breaking out. How can the friends of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom's here? There will be a time, Jesus said, when the bridegroom is taken away. Then my followers will fast. When, when, when the crucifixion happens, when there's the not yet. In fact, Jesus himself, having shared a meal with his disciples? The Last Supper said, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine with you until I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. Jesus himself fasting from wine until the end of the age where we have a great wedding banquet. That's where history's going. Anyway, too much information probably. But um, all I'm saying really by this is fasting is for breakthrough. Fasting is where we see the not yet of the kingdom. We want to see the now breaking in. So when my friend is sick, I fast because... Actually, right now, I'm not seeing the kingdom of heaven where there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. And so I'm praying and fasting, God, in the not yet, will you bring some of the now in? When I'm looking at my own life and recognizing that I'm still subject to, I don't know, temptation and disobedience and fear and anxiety, I'm praying, Lord God, will you strengthen me, will you change me, that I can be more perfect in my following of Jesus, my discipleship? when I'm seeing trouble and pain in our city, when I'm wanting to see more breakthrough in our life together, more of the love and power of God, more of the unity of the Spirit, then I fast because I want to go for more. So as we go into a week of prayer and fasting, where there's trouble, we can maybe use the discipline of fasting to bring our bodies in line with our minds and our spirit and holistically groaning and crying out to God, who, again, Paul says, the Spirit himself groans with Christ deeper than words. And if you want to groan, a bit of fasting is going to really help you. (laughs) What I'm going to do, I'm going to close in, in just a moment, but we're going to go back into a little bit of worship. But again, Sunday by Sunday, we have people here who love to pray. Is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. How do you pray when you're in trouble? Honestly, it's hard to pray when you're in trouble. If you're sick, sometimes it can be hard to pray because you are carrying the symptoms in your body. Sometimes when you're Suffering anxiety, the anxiety is so loud that it's really hard to find God because the voices of our emotions drown out that still small voice of God. In James chapter 5, where, where, where he says, if let him in trouble, let them pray. He then goes on to talk about the prayer of faith. And that's one reason why we love to encourage those who need prayer to come and find other people to pray with because faith is helped by a community of faith and by people who are carrying faith. And it might be that um, today you're in trouble. You haven't got masses of faith, but you've got enough faith to say, I'll go and get someone to pray with me. And that, that combination of faith, faith earth's the power of God in, in extraordinary way. So that's a little commendation for you to have some prayer ministry today if you'd like some. So there will be a team of people looking over there by the um, hose pipes. <laughs> and... Um, if you'd like some prayer, when we go back into worship, people will be standing, you can just slip out of your seat and go and get a prayer. If you're a visitor here, it's not odd odd for us to do that, we do that every week, you know. So, but I'm going to say a prayer on behalf of all of you, and if you are in trouble, maybe particularly, let me pray for you, and maybe just put your hand on your heart as I pray, and uh, as as your own son to God, that you want to receive his love and mercy. Father God, today we, we, we come to you as we are frail human beings, beset sometimes by fears and anxieties on the inside, and by the trials of life on the outside, needing prayer. Thank you, God, that you've not left us as orphans, but you've given us your Holy Spirit. And we pray today, God, that your Holy Spirit would be with us, remain with us, and bring your healing and your mercy and your goodness into our lives. Lord, we lift that area of need, that pressure, that person, that circumstance to you in this moment of silence. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amen.